I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Thursday, April 13th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Okay, so Peak Pals, today in inflation really has touched everything news. Girl Gun Cookies will now run you $6 a box instead of $5. Now, it's the first time they've raised prices since 2012. Now, of course, Jay, I'm, I'll still buy them in support of the Girl Guides, but also because I love snacks, I love cookies. What about you? Will you still buy them, Jerry? Is this out of your price range? It's not out of my price range. It's out of my waistline, but it is out of my price range. I love Girl Guide cookies. I don't want to say anything controversial, but they are not as good as Girl Scout cookies south of the border. So if it's going to be $6 a box, I might as well spend $6 a box in uh, Buffalo and bring back more delicious cookies. But I will still buy them. If anybody is selling them, hit me up on Twitter and I will uh, buy some from your Girl Guides. Wow, an open offer. I grew up as a scout, Jane. And as a scout, you didn't sell cookies. You sold two things. One was apples. I remember standing outside of like grocery stores in Etobicoke selling apples to people. And then two, popcorn. Popcorn became a thing for a bit. So that's the market I'm more used to. The cookies are outside of my scope. Yeah, the cookies are better than your apples or your popcorn, but I get the drift. So good luck, girl guides out there. Hit me up on Twitter and I will buy a box or two, depending on how many people hit me up on Twitter. Brett, aside from girl guide cookies being affected by inflation, what do we have for Peak Dolls today? For first story in the same theme, rates hold steady for our second story, TFSA day trading crackdown. And for our last story, Big Canola gets into big fuels. For our first story, Tiff Macklem. T-Mac on this show is nothing if not a man of his word. Despite mounting pressures, the Bank of Canada kept its promise and continued to hold steady on interest rates. What is our friend T-Mac up to these days, Brett? So the Bank of Canada held the benchmark interest rate at 4.5%, making it the second straight rate decision with no movement after eight previous consecutive hikes. Inflation has been steadily falling since hitting a four-decade high of 8.1% last June, and as of this February, was down to a way less frightening 5.2%. More promising, a shorter-term core measure, excluding more volatile fluctuations like energy, the Bank of Canada officials follow closely had slowed all the way down to 3.5%, so that's good news. Sure, but troubling indicators still dot the economic landscape. For one, wages continue to surge forward at a pace that Macklem has called inconsistent with reaching target inflation. While consumer spending has trended downward, it hasn't trended that downward, potentially due to sustained wage growth and government spending. Canada's economy has also been surprisingly resilient, with GDP growing by 0.5% in January instead of falling or stalling. If the trend continues, it could complicate things for the Bank of Canada. Ultimately, the Bank of Canada saw the warning signs and still speeded ahead or didn't speed ahead. Confident that the full effects of rate hikes will be felt in the coming quarters, especially as more mortgages are renewed at higher rates, leaving homeowners with less spending cash. Here's the bottom line. In a statement, the Bank of Canada said, and this is a quote, data is reinforcing confidence that inflation will continue to decline in the next few months. This is me speaking. However, if the economy and wage growth remain strong or inflation suddenly creeps back up, the door to another hike is always open. For our second story, Canadian tax courts are cracking down on TFSA day trading, taking aim at investors that are doing so well that their trades could be classified as a business activity, well, at least kind of. How are day traders getting dinged now, Jay? 
Let's put it out there. This is about very good day traders. The defendant in question is Fareed Ahmed, an investment advisor who grew $15,000 in his tax-free savings account to over $617,000 between 2009 to 2011. Canada's tax court ruled he was carrying out a business in his TFSA and his income should be taxed. Now, a TFSA allows Canadian adults to contribute $6,500 a year and earn tax-free investment income on investments, including stocks, bonds, ETFs, and mutual funds. However, investors are required to pay tax if the income is earned from a business or from non-qualified investments in the account, this according to the Global Mail. And here's why it all matters. Beyond likely making Ahmed the most in-demand financial advisor in the country right now, despite his soft spot for volatile penny stocks, the ruling opens the door to tax other highly active investors, those who simply have large balances, probably don't need to worry too much. Yeah, Ahmed's lawyer argued that the exemption on business income from day trading is a registered retirement savings plan, an RRSP, should be extended to TFSA. He also claimed the CRA's current test for assessing whether a TFSA is carrying out business activities should be thrown out for being stacked against the taxpayer. Now let's zoom out. Between 2009 and 2017, the CRA assessed $14 million in taxes from investors classified like Ahmed. Given that day trading joined sourdough making and finger painting as a hobby du jour of the pandemic era, the tax agency might soon be in for a windfall. For our third and final story, Big Canola is betting that canola oil will be used to deep fry potatoes and power vehicles. Yeah, Jay, here's what's driving the news. Canadian canola exporters plan to hike the country's canola processing, called crushing capacity, by 50% over the next two to three years as they seek to reduce reliance on foreign processors amidst a surge in demand for the illustrious yellow crop. Louis Dreyfus is the most recent global crop giant to announce a Canadian canola processing push, pledging to more than double the size of its Yorkton, Saskatchewan facility. And this all matters because Canada is the world's largest canola oil producer. Fun fact, the can in canola literally stands for Canada, with farmers harvesting over 18 million tons last year. Mmm, that's sweet, sweet canola oil. But despite the name, canola represents a missed opportunity, which is classic Canada. Canada usually crushes only around half of its harvest and is forced to export the rest. By expanding domestic capacity, it can cut out the middlemen and capitalize on the growing demand for canola oil in biofuels. Wait, did you say biofuels? I did. A process called, this is a tough word, Jay, Transesterification can turn canola oil into a renewable biodiesel that produces 90% fewer emissions than standard fossil fuels. As countries across the globe look to cut emissions, canola processors see a huge opportunity. Currently, most biodiesels are made of soybean oil, but canola is more attractive as its seeds yield more oil and soybean harvesting is linked to Amazon deforestation. Yes, but critics point out that emissions created by harvesting canola cancel out gains from using it as biofuel. Some countries have heeded their words. Germany, a major major buyer of Canadian canola oil for use in biofuels proposed a ban on crop-based biofuels by 2030. Pig Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to business news podcast in Canada. If you got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readpeak.com. Thank you, Brett. Have a good day, Peak Pals. And Brett, in the same week, we have introduced the word transestrification and Finlandization, just to say that we might be the only podcast in the world that had both of those words in their podcast this week. Have a good day, Brett. You too.